Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at, continue looking at Luke chapter 18. And we're reading from verse 18. And we're going through to verse 30 this morning. But I will be dealing mainly with verses 18 to 27. So Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. A ruler questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Peter said, Behold, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. That's God's word to us this morning. You know, this rich young ruler was one of many in the Gospels. Listen to what I'm saying. He was one of many in the Gospels who went away from Jesus in a worse condition than when he came. There were many. They came to Jesus, they heard what he said, but they went away in a worse condition than when they came. There were many who went away in a better condition, but this young ruler was one who left worse. He had so much in his favour. He was moral, he was religious, he was earnest. He was sincere. If he was living today, we'd give him automatic membership in many of our churches. And yet, he walked away from Jesus in great sorrow. Why? Well, we're going to see he asked the right question. But he made the wrong decision. And you and I can be doing exactly the same thing today. And so we need to investigate this this morning. You might be asking the right questions, but are you making the right decisions? Let's see what our Lord does. The three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, tell us about this young man. Those are the parallel passages. And all three Gospels contain them. Jesus sets out again on his journey to Jerusalem. And the young man runs up and he kneels before Jesus. The other Gospels tell us that he was a 
very rich man. They tell us that he was a ruler, probably a synagogue official. He owned many properties. And so, he was, in people's eyes, a very successful man. But he knew deep inside of him that there was something wrong. He knew that he didn't have this eternal life that he was striving after. It wasn't yet in his future. There was a hole he was starting, he was wanting to fill. And he was trying to find that answer. And so he comes up with this question which was consuming his heart and his mind. He falls at Jesus' feet. And he says to the Lord, Lord, good teacher, what, what must I do to inherit this kingdom? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing we need to notice about this young man is that his, his view of Christ was superficial. And we see that in his words that he uses, and Jesus picks up on this as well. Good teacher. The word superficial in the dictionary means something existing or occurring at or on the surface and appearing to be true or real only until examined more closely. So you think it's true, but when you dig deeper, you find out that it's actually superficial. There's so much more under the surface. So this young man comes and he says to the Lord, Good teacher. What does Jesus react to that a little later? He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You think, well, what's the problem? Well, you see, Jesus wasn't disclaiming his deity. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses will use this exact verse and they will say to you that Jesus is here saying that I am not God, therefore I am not good, so don't call me good. This is proof that he's not God, but created by God. They will come and tell you that at your door when they knock on it. Don't believe them. This isn't what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is this. He's saying, young man, do you know what you're saying when you call me good? You see, as Jews, they had this phrase which they used, only God is good. And they kind of used it automatically. Like, you sneeze, people say, bless you. They used to use this phrase, only God is good. And so this young man comes and says, good teacher. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And if you say that I'm good, are you saying that I'm God? Really? Are you acknowledging me as the Messiah? As you come before me, young man? And if you are, what I'm about to say to you must be treated as the word of God. Or am I just another teacher to you? And you just use this word. Do you see what he's saying to him? He's saying to this young man, your view of me and the kingdom of God is superficial. Don't just use this term glibly. You need to dig deeper. You need to discover the real truth. You need to discover who I am and then you are to respond to me. You see, there are many today that have a superficial Jesus. There are many today who have a plastic Jesus in their homes. He's just up there. They would pass him by, they hardly see him after a while. In fact, he might be in the church. A big statue in a church and they'll walk in and out and not see the statue of Jesus. All he is to them is a statue. Or he might be a little thing hanging from a car window. When we were in India we saw that often. 
Little plastic Jesus swinging around next to the nodding dog. Or he might be a Jesus hanging around their necks on a little cross. And they kind of use this superficial Jesus as a good luck thing. Or he might be a Jesus of their own creation. A historic Jesus who's just a teacher. Or maybe he's a Jesus who just fits into my lifestyle and my expectations. A little Jesus who comes to church with me on Sundays. That's also superficial. You see, what Jesus is pointing here to this young man, he's saying to him, a superficial Messiah is no Messiah at all. Young man, when you say, good teacher, I am the Messiah. Secondly, we see that this young man had a superficial view of sin. Not just of the Messiah in front of him, but a superficial, a shallow view of sin. And that's why Jesus takes him back to the commands, the commandments. What was the second part of his question? He said, good teacher, what do I need to do? Note his words. What do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? What do I need to do, actions, to inherit, to get the kingdom? You see, if you dig down here, you see that this young man lacked assurance. That's why he was in front of Jesus with a question. If he had it all together, why would he have come? But he kneeled at Jesus' feet. He lacked assurance. He needed to know in the here and now that he would be okay in the hereafter. He was trying to do religious law. He was trying to do religion to attain eternal life. If he was living today, the language would be, he was trying to be a good person. He was trying to be a churchgoer. And yet, he's kneeling at Jesus' feet, because he knows there's still something lacking in him. He thought he could inherit eternal life, like he inherits money. And he most probably inherited money. That's where he got his riches. And with this money, he, he most probably thought he could buy eternity like it could buy most things in life. But here was one thing that was out of reach of his money. Here was one thing that money could not buy. You see, money could not reach into the spiritual dimension. It doesn't matter how much your bank account balance is, on the positive that is, you cannot buy your way into the spiritual dimension. You can't. Money is limited to the here, now and physical. That's where it ends. When you die, your money stays behind, I'm afraid to say. That's what Jesus is saying to him. And that's what this young man needed to see. He needed to realize his own sinfulness. And the sinfulness came out because of the nature of his question. He didn't understand what it was. To bring his sin before the Messiah and to ask him to gain entry into the kingdom. And so Jesus refers him back to the law of God to show him a real view of sin. And it's interesting that Jesus refers him back to his comfort zone. He thought he knew the law. He thought he was keeping the law. And Jesus refers him back to it because Jesus is going to show him something deeper which is not so superficial. And so Jesus says to him, You know the commandments? 
Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Look at those specific commandments in your, in your Bibles. What do you notice about them? They're the one another ones. They're the ones that are easier to keep on the surface. You can kind of mark yourself off on those ones. But Jesus is pointing further, you see. The Apostle Paul spoke about this later in Romans 3.20. He said, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's what Jesus wants to show this young man. He wanted to show him that these are the laws you're supposed to be keeping. And what does the young man do? He falls right into the trap, he says. But I've kept them from when I was a youth. I've, I've, I've done all these, Jesus. Surely I'm alright. Tell me I'm alright. Give me the assurance I need. He thought he was good because of law keeping. But he needed to be confronted with the absolute standard of goodness. You see, that's what the law does for you and I, the Ten Commandments. They confront us with God's absolute standard of goodness. The perfect standard of goodness. Why? Because he's a holy God. So the problem was that this young man had reached the standard. But what was the standard he had reached? He had reached the standard he had set himself for God's law. Do you see? He thought he was keeping God's law. But it was a superficial standard. It wasn't the standard God had set for his law. What was that standard? Perfect keeping of the law. And Jesus is going to show him this. You see, if he had correctly understood the law, the law would have shown him that he was a sinner. The law would have shown him that his heart was far from God. But he missed the law's intent. Why? Because he was blinded by his rule keeping. He was blinded by his being religious. And there are many, many, many today who suffer from the same blindness. Religious blindness. You might be one of those. This might be the very day that you need to hear that you are being religious, but you are far from the Lord. Let's see how the Lord points us out to him. You see, this young man suffered from something thirdly. He suffered from a superficial view of salvation. Verses 24. 2.25 I love this little paragraph this little nearly in brackets inserted here Mark tells us about this in Mark 10.21 when this man said these words I've kept these from my youth Jesus looked at him and was sad there were two sad people here the next one's going to come now Jesus was sad because he realized this young man was blind. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Isn't that a beautiful paragraph there? He was sad, but he loved him. Because he saw his blindness. And that was the very reason he had come to this earth. To be sad about people, but to save them. To save people out of their blindness. And so what does Jesus say? Verse 22. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess 
and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. You see, Jesus could see his heart. He could see right inside this young man, and he could see that there was one major commandment that he was breaking. What was that? Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And there was another one. There shall only be one God in you. There was idolatry in this man. He had an idol and his response was going to show it. You see, he hadn't done, he hadn't heeded the summary of the law. What was the summary of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Here was this young man living in the midst of desperately poor people but the Lord could see he hadn't performed his full duty to God. And so he had an idol. He couldn't worship God as he should. Why? Because he had an idol of the heart. He had the idol of money, his riches before him. But also he hadn't been looking after his neighbor. And so he hadn't been keeping the law perfectly. And that meant he had broken all of it. And so he might think that it was perfect. But the Lord was wanting to show him, actually, young man, you've broken all of it. And so the Lord performs surgery in the one place that he needs to. What does he do? He says, okay, you've kept everything perfectly. Go and sell everything you possess. And then come and follow me. And that was a cut that cut to the man's heart. Because he knew he couldn't. That's the amazing thing. When Jesus reaches you and I, He does heart surgery on us. Because He always cuts into that one area in our lives that really hurts. And He brings us to a point of decision. We either can or we can't. And this young man knows, I can't do this. He was sad. Why? Because he knew he couldn't pay the price required for what Jesus was asking. He couldn't pay the price. It was too high. He had a love of earthly possessions. Salvation was not worth the price he had to pay. Think about those words. Salvation was not worth the price he had to pay. Have you paid the price for salvation? And listen to what I'm saying here. You can't do anything about your salvation that is, comes all one way. But Jesus says to you, I will save you. Are you willing to pay the price? Will you leave everything and follow me? If not, you can't come into eternity. You can't have salvation. It's me, and every, it's me or nothing, says the Lord. And this young man walked away sad. He left in a worse condition than when he came. Why? Because he knew the truth, but he decided to turn his back on it. He decided to turn his back on the only one who could save him, the Messiah, and to go into a world and to end his life surrounded by his riches, but not able to go into eternity. That is sad. And so Jesus looks at him directly and he says, verse 24, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And I wonder if that added to his sorrow, this young man. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And right here in the sadness, Jesus teaches a lesson to those who had heard his words, especially his disciples. He says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, in their world view, the camel was the largest thing they knew, unless they'd been to war and they'd seen elephants. But a camel was the largest thing. And one of the smallest things they knew was the eye of a needle. And so Jesus is saying, it's hard, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? There's an Arabian saying around, Mishkum, impossible. And Jesus is using this. He's saying it's impossible for the wealthy to enter on their own steam. It's impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And there are those in history who've tried to kind of talk this away by being clever and saying, well, he's only talking about a camel that can go through a hole in the wall, in the, the walls of Jerusalem, on bended knees with no burden on its back. No, no, no. He's not saying that at all. There's no evidence for that. Because if he was saying that, he would be undoing the whole thing. It's impossible to enter the kingdom without coming through the proper door. There's only one door. There's not a little one on the side anywhere. There's one door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me, says Jesus. So no, he wasn't saying that. He was saying there's only one way. And it's the Jesus way. It's the Messiah way. And if you come any other way, even you rich people, it is impossible. It is impossible for the rich to rely on their wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, because riches tend to have an effect on people, riches hold on to the soul. Now I'm going to speak a little further. So if you've got good positive balances, don't feel bad now. Leave it for later. He's not saying that it's wrong and sinful to be rich. Is that what he's saying? No, no. He's saying if you have money, if you are wealthy, watch out. There's a danger. Look again to your soul. Are you holding on to your riches? Do you think you can buy your way into eternity? Or are you depending on the Messiah Himself? Have you got a one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ only? Nothing else. Nothing else. Only one Lord in your life. Watch out. There's a danger. That's what Jesus is. I love verse 26. Jesus always creates responses in people. So the people around hear this. If it's impossible for this wealthy guy to get into the kingdom of heaven, and they had this idea in their minds that God blesses the wealthy and he gives them many blessings and so they must be in God's good books. So if it's, impos- if it's impossible for those in God's good books because of their wealth to get into heaven, what about us? Poor people, what chance do we have? That's impossible. Those who heard this realize God's standards. If he, the rich one, who's got it all together, this young man, can't get into heaven, then who can? 
And that's the very point. Jesus wants to point them to Himself. Jesus wants to point them to the only possibility of getting into heaven. And that's why He says those beautiful words on which your soul rests, if you're a believer here today, and on which my hope rests. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Yes, it is impossible for man to enter without God's help. That's the point. But with God, everything is possible. He turns your impossible into possible. That's what he's saying. If we put our faith in works, then entry into the kingdom is impossible to attain. But if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, listen to this, then entry into the kingdom is not just possible. It's already attained for us. Where was Jesus on his way to? Jerusalem. What was going to happen in Jerusalem? He was going to die on the cross. He was going to pay that price that had to be paid to make it possible. It was already attained in God's eyes, in eternity's plan. And here Jesus says, if you put your faith in me with God, it is possible. It is already attained. He knew what he would do on the cross. Without turning aside, he knew. Praise the Lord for that phrase. The one perfect law keeper, Jesus Christ, said those words. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says this, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. I want to repeat those words. They are words of grace. Listen to them. He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost everything necessary. Those Here's the prerequisite. Who draw near to God through Him. Isn't that beautiful? We cannot enter without Jesus Christ. Christ does something which is impossible for man to do. He pays the perfect price which has to be paid for man's imperfect obedience to God's law. He keeps it perfectly. Now, are you awake? I'm going to use a big word. On the cross, he pays propitiation. All right, I know, that was a bit... I'll use it again. He pays propitiation. What does that mean? It's one of the most beautiful terms that you can get to know, off by heart. When he pays propitiation, God comes down, he covers sin. But not just that, he, def he deflects. The wrath of God, which was due for that sin. Have you got it? I might get you to, to do the actions with me. No, I won't. God, listen to this, propitiation. God Himself comes down. Who was coming down? The Messiah, God. He comes and covers sin, all sin, which is brought before Him. But not just that, He deflects. He takes on Himself. The wrath of God that was due for you and I. I love propitiation. And I can spell it. I love propitiation. Because that's the story of my life. I was a sinner. And man, was I a sinner. But Jesus came. He found me on a day. I didn't want to find Him. He found 
me. And when I knelt at His feet, He covered my sin. And He deflected the wrath of God, which as sure as God was coming down on my head. I love propitiation. I should put that on t-shirts, but no one out there will understand such big words. Propitiation. This is what 1 John 4 verse 10 says about this beautiful word. In this is love, not that we have loved God. It's not about you and your love for God. It's about Him and His love for you. Do you see the love comes the other way? In this is love, not that we have loved God. Here it is, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for inventing this word. Because it's got so much depth. You see, this rich young ruler needed Jesus Christ. He needed the Messiah. He needed God Himself, who was standing right in front of him, to keep the law perfectly on his behalf, before he could inherit eternal life. But, he turned away to such a great gift. Are you turning away today? Or have you accepted this gift that Jesus holds out to you. There's decision to be made. Where do you stand before the Messiah this morning? As Lord or as good teacher? Verse 28 to 30, I'm going to cover next week, but I just want to look at them really quickly. Now, there's another reaction here. Peter said, once he'd heard all this, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. Now, there's two ways this can be understood. He can either be saying, aren't we good? But I don't think that's what's coming through here. I think Peter was showing a little bit of insecurity here. Remember the young man had come? Well, I think Peter says, but Lord, we have left our homes and followed you. And we're not even rich. What about us, Lord? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, there are many people who have had to offer these sacrifices. There are many who have had to leave families behind, go to other countries and never see their families again. And in the early years of mission work, Many husbands had to leave their wives and children behind and never saw them again. In your family today, if you're a believer and none of the rest of your family are, they might be forcing you out as well. You might be forced to pay this price. But Jesus says, you lose now, you gain forever. We take hope, you see. You might lose all your riches now and the Lord might want you to. Are you prepared to lose all your riches for Jesus Christ? He says if you are, you will gain for eternity. See the big picture. Count the cost. I am Messiah. What is impossible with you is possible with me. I will look after you in this life. You will not lack. I will look after you. But in the next life, I will continue to provide for you into eternity and you will lack nothing. There's hope, you see. With God, 
Everything is possible, even in your impossibility. So we need to trust Him. Like this rich young man, we need to make a decision. We need to trust the Messiah who is right here with us in this room. Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, is with us. Do we trust Him in our everyday life? I want to leave you with three questions. I always say that, but it works into a few little ones. The so what? We've heard all this. The rich young man. So what? First question, are you devoted to religion or to Jesus? That will show in what you seek to do. Are you into rule keeping? I better do this or better do that or I better do this. Otherwise, or do you trust Jesus Christ? There's a big difference. One thing you lack, says the Lord, follow me. What are you filling that spiritual hole in your life with? Are you filling it with superficial doing of things? Good things. Giving all your money away to the poor. Are you trying to fill that hole in your life with doing religious things? Or have you filled that hole in your life with a relationship with the only one who can fill that emptiness, the real Jesus Christ? And if you do, you will have assurance of salvation. You will not doubt that He can save to the uttermost. Are you devoted to religion or to Jesus? Secondly, now listen carefully to this one. Have you known lack to find gain? Have you known lack to find gain? Have you come to that point of recognition in your life that it is impossible to gain salvation by myself? Have you actually come to that point? Or are you kind of getting there? Because getting there is not going to get you into the kingdom. We've got to reach that point when we know without Jesus Christ, I am lost for eternity. It's only at that point when we will find Christ's accomplishment for us. We need to ask Him to save us. We've got to get to that point in our lives. Lord, I can't. You can. Please save me. I'm a wretched sinner. I need your grace. And only then will propitiation be made on your behalf. I couldn't help it again. It will be made on your behalf. But on your behalf. But if you strive for perfection and salvation on your own strength, you face eternity on your ace. On your own. And last, large question this morning. Is it all for Jesus in your life this morning? I want to ask you a practical question. What are you clutching in your hands? You say, yes, all for Jesus. But what are you holding on to in this life? Clutching is the word I used. Are you holding on to another God first before Jesus Christ? I ask that the Holy Spirit will do surgery here today. What is there that comes before Jesus in my life? What is your security based in? What is there which causes you too to walk away from Jesus Christ and your obedience to Him? Is the price too high for you to pay for salvation? 
Remember, your loss in this life is your gain for eternity. Maybe this morning you're wanting a Christian faith that does not change your values and maybe you're wanting a Christian life that doesn't upset your lifestyle. That's plastic Jesus. That's superficial Messiah. That's a false Messiah. He is no Messiah at all. You see, it's easy for you and I, and I'm speaking to believers here now, it's easy for you and I to slip into a state of spiritual sluggishness and to view Jesus as important, but not all important. There's a difference. When something is important in your life, good and well, but if it's all important, your whole life is put into one direction, because that's all you can see. Is it Jesus Christ as first of all in your life? How does Jesus fit into your life? Is he merely relevant, or is he irreplaceable? If someone had to come and take Jesus out of your life, what would you have left? Would you still be able to kind of manage along? I would be utterly lost. No more flying to me. I don't care about it. The Lord Jesus Christ is everything. And if He is no, no longer there, I have nothing. I die. You will only know Jesus to the degree that you realise that He has absolutely no equal. I'm going to repeat that. It's a really important sentence. You will only know Jesus to the degree that you realize that He has absolutely no equal. If there's any other competitor for your heart, you need to go back to the Messiah. You need to bend your knee. You need to ask Him to forgive you and to fix your eyes on the one who can take you from this life into eternity One thing you lack, says Jesus. Not just Jesus all for Jesus, and I've sung the song and it felt good, but forsake everything else and follow me. Decision time. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, your beloved Son to this earth, so that he would find people like us. Those who were lost. Those who had no hope for any eternity, never mind this life. So that he could save us. So that he could love us. So that he could give himself completely. And pay the price. And keep the law perfectly on our behalf. Without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. Help us, Lord, to see that fact in the reality of our daily obedience to you. May our obedience show that you are the only God we have. May we not be sidetracked by other things. May we not lose focus. But may you be preeminent in us, Jesus Christ, our one and only God. Lord, we can only do this through the strength that you give us and the grace you bestow through your Spirit. Work in us. Do your surgery, Lord, so that when we obey you, the world will see that Jesus lives through our lives and be attracted to him too.
one and only gate into eternity. 